Now, we turn our attention to the Word of God, to the Gospel of John again, to chapter 14, a very familiar passage, I think. These are the words of Jesus and a conversation with doubting Thomas. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Chapter 12 and chapter 13 of the narrative here in the Gospel of John tells us that Jesus was greatly troubled, that he had a deep emotional time within his own soul because he was facing, in a matter of a few hours, the cross and the ordeal that was to be his in his crucifixion. He knew that his hour had come All that he had done from his days as a little baby in a manger in Bethlehem all the way through his upbringing in Nazareth to his ministry throughout that land now was coming to its most important moment, the moment of his death, when he would lay down his life for his sheep, for his disciples, for believers. And this troubling intensified, I think, if you read the narrative all the way through till we finally see him at the depths of his suffering in the garden of Gethsemane in prayer. And that's what this section of the Gospel of John deals with. And we have more narrative material here than we have in any of the other sections that give us the discourse of what Christ said and did during these hours. Chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 of John. Over 20% of the material of John's gospel is this discourse that Jesus gave here in his last hours with his disciples before his death. And it is interesting that Jesus looks to his disciples and says, don't let your heart be troubled. They had sensed, I am sure, the mood and from a human perspective, the agony of Christ's soul. And it had moved to them and there was a confusion and an uncertainty. The drama of what had just taken place, the washing of the feet, the starting of the meal, the leaving of Judas out the door to go betray Christ. That's enough to disrupt any evening meal. But Jesus 
wants to comfort his disciples. He knows that what they're about to witness the next day at noon with him on the cross is going to cause them to lose heart. They're going to be greatly troubled. They're going to be in fear of their own lives. They're going to scatter. They're going to run. They're going to hide. But Jesus sets before them the simplest and clearest picture of what their future is together. He's told them, I'm going away. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Where's Jesus going? He's going to the cross. They can't go there. He's going there for them. He's going to a tomb. To lie in a tomb, dead. They can't go there. He's going there for them. He's going to be raised from the dead in a bodily resurrection by the power of the Holy Spirit to eternal life, receiving that great reward that was promised. They're not going there. He's going there for them. But there is a place where He is going that they will be able to go. And that is because He's going somewhere they cannot go, that is to the cross and to the tomb. He is enabling His disciples and us to go to that other place, heaven. And that's literally what the word here talks about when it says a place. John uses that very term to describe heaven in the book of Revelation. He talks about it being a place in heaven with God, God's people and God's angels and all that are God's. And he speaks of there those that are not being cast out and barred from that place. The singular feature of that place where they are going, where Jesus is going to enable them to go, the single feature is it is with Him, with Christ, with God. Over and over and over and over and over and over in the Bible, in both Testaments, we keep hearing this refrain that says we will be with God and He will be with us and He will be our God and we will be His people and He will dwell in the midst of us. And that's ultimately where the people of God are headed is to be with Him. But He gives us some remarkable things about the way. He points out a few key turns in the pathway to heaven. One of them he mentions here is that there will be a turn in the pathway in that they will stay here, but he will go to the Father. They will stay here, but he will return to them in a second coming in an appearing, a parousia. Parousia means parousia. That is, alongside the essence. And that's really what the coming of Christ is. It is that moment, it is that time when we are alongside Christ in His person and in His essence. 
And that's really what makes the pathway. That's the way. It's a spiritual road. Jesus is going to tell them in conclusion that I am the road. I am the way, the odos. I am the truth, the aletheia. And I am the life, the zoe. Three important principles and truths concerning who he is in his person. Now you can imagine in the context of this particular meeting that it is confusing. It is um, disturbing. When they left Lazarus' tomb just a, a few short days earlier and the Lord had raised Lazarus, on their way to that, Thomas had said, well, let's just follow Jesus to Jerusalem and die. He had picked up enough to know that there was a decease, there was a death, there was an exodus. There was something waiting for Christ there. And he just said, let's just follow Christ to the bitter end. And the same Thomas says, I don't really know, Lord, where you're going. I don't know the turns and the way. I don't know... I can't put all this together. In the post-resurrection appearance of Christ in the upper room, which will occur about nine days after this, we talk about doubting Thomas. I think at that case, he was really doubting. I think here we have confused Thomas. What is this the Lord is talking about? And as we've talked about in our studies in John from the very beginning... Jesus always seems to speak on two levels. He did it with Nicodemus. He did it with the woman at the well. He did it with the, with the Jews in the temple. And you know all the stories and all the incidences that we've covered so far. Jesus talks in earthly terms, but it always seems to have an overriding, deeper, richer, eternal, spiritual meaning. And that's what's going on here. Jesus is speaking of the authentic, the truth. But he has told us that he is the truth. He has spoken of eternal life. He says, I have life within myself. I give eternal life. Over and over, he's been teaching his disciples these things, but he declares in an I am statement. How many of those have we seen in the Gospel of John where Jesus says, I am I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. Here's another I am saying. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus is setting before them their future. About three or four verses earlier, he says, Where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow afterwards. Their whole connection to Jesus had been following him. The first thing he said to them was, follow me. And now they're following him. And he tells them they've reached somehow a place where they can no longer follow. But he says he'll not leave them there. He'll come get them and take them to that place. I'm not, I don't know how comforted they were from these words at the time. But these are very comforting words to a disciple. Jesus says, 
follow me. I am the way. And then he tells us that he's going to prepare that place in the Father's house. There are many dwelling places, many residences. It's literally the word remain, places to remain. And he is going to prepare, and then he's going to come. He said, I will come again and receive you or take you to myself. That where I am, there's another one of those I am sayings. Where I am, alongside me, you will be also. You know, that's really the supreme comfort that's given in Scripture over and over. The psalmist tells us in the 23rd Psalm, where he says, you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The Lord says, I am with you. When Jesus would later and shortly, we shall get to it, when he is to ascend to his Father, he tells them, I am with you till the end of the age. Really our supreme comfort, the conclusion of it all, is that Christ has promised to never leave us nor forsake us, to be with us, with us. He will later tell them, it's necessary that I go away so that I can send the Spirit who will be with you and in you. One thing we need to note here before we're done, and that is the saying of Christ when He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He adds to it, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus had been explaining to them with speech and sign that He is the Son of God, that He is God in the flesh. This is the supreme stumbling block to those who saw Jesus as a mere man, a teacher, a rabbi, a miracle worker, maybe a prophet. And that's where Jesus ties it together. So you believe in God. These Jews had no problem believing in the one true God, although all throughout history of Israel's history and all throughout the land, there was always a conflict between the exclusivity of the Hebrew God and all the other gods round about. There was one God, one true God, God Almighty, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that was high and lifted up, the Most High God. And then there were all the idols and the, and the gods and the pantheons of all the various pagan faiths and religions all around Assyria and Egypt and Canaan and, and, and extending then to Greece and Rome and all around, all the false gods. It was one God. Jesus said to these disciples, you believe in the God, is what it literally says. You believe in the one true God. Now the, the language here says you can believe in God or believe, believe also in me uh, can be taken as either indicative, you do believe in God, or imperative. Believe in God. And I think we have a case of each here. You do, in fact, believe in God. Now what you must 
believe, and now what you must understand, and now what you must trust and have your faith in is me as the true Son of God, the reflection in every way of the Father, the incarnation of the ineffable, transcendent God. These are extremely potent, teachable phrases that Jesus is giving us. So the notion of exclusivity had always abounded in ancient Israel. There was never any other God but the true God. And as his son, Jesus Christ, is now claiming, there's no other way to the true God but by me. There is no question that Jesus is teaching absolute exclusivity. He is the only way to the true God. To come to the true God, the creator of heaven and earth, you must come by way of faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ completely and Jesus Christ solely. I know that sits uneasy with a lot of minds. But here's what you must also understand. That even though Christ is the only way to the Father, the true God, He Himself is not exclusive, He is inclusive. It would be unfair and unjust if He would say, I'm the only way to the Father and only certain kinds of people can come by way of me. But that's not what Jesus says all throughout his ministry. And the gospel teaches us clearly that Jesus is the only way to God, but that way is open, available, offered and abundant to every single solitary soul who's ever lived. The first century person, the 21st century person, the rich person, the poor, the powerful, the weak, the old, the young, the male, the female, the bond and the free. Across the centuries, across social strata, there is no class, no category, no group of people that are excluded from Christ. He is the Savior of every single human being that's ever lived by a full and free offer of the gospel. If someone does not come to Christ, you can't blame Christ. Because he has said, come unto me all, you that labor. The gospel message says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It is not Christ that slams the door shut. It is the human heart that will not believe, will not will not acknowledge his person, will not accept his saviorhood, will not bow to his lordship. Jesus lamented, you will not come to me that you may have eternal life. He even noticed the sad condition of the human heart was, you don't seem, you cannot come to me unless there be a drawing of my father, a quickening of my spirit. The fault is not with Christ being the only way to God. And the fault is not with Christ excluding people, saying, you can come, 
You cannot come. No, Christ's arms are open for all, any and all, all through the ages. There's no exclusivity there. He is inclusive to the last soul of humanity. If you don't come, if you won't come, if you won't follow him to the Father, you must ask yourself, what's wrong with me? Why do I not believe him? Why do I doubt him? Why do I question? Why do I resist? Why do I rail? Why do I find fault with Christ? It's not Christ that's keeping you out of heaven. It's your own rebellious, sinful, sad heart. You need to ask God's Holy Spirit to change out your heart, to take away a stony heart and give you a heart that's sensitive, a heart of flesh, a beating heart, a pulsating heart, a loving heart, a believing heart. You need to ask God to bow your stiff neck and humbly seek and find Christ. You will find me when you seek me with all of your heart, the Lord said. Now, Jesus is not shutting anybody out of heaven. If you don't make it to the place that he is preparing, it's on you. It's not on Jesus, it's on you.